Hello and welcome to a new episode of Pat's Chat. Today, I'm very honored to have Dr. H.J. Menai with me. H.J., uh, uh, how are you doing today? I am fine. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me, Pat. <laughs> Thanks for your time. Uh, I guess for, for uh, all the Malaysian um, uh, audience, you don't need any introduction. You're very popular, very famous. Um, uh, in a country, you have done uh, 200 plus um, talks and speeches in, in conferences. Um, and you also have done two TEDx uh, speeches, uh, Educate for Life, Not for Work, and then Rough to Ready, uh, which uh, share a lot of your uh, past, of your childhood. Um, and interestingly, uh, also the first time I learned your um, your. Your real name, like the name you're born with, which is uh, Bajahat, <laughs> if I say that correctly. Um, that is correct. Yeah, but you changed your name to AJ at one day. Uh, for my first question, of course, what what motivated you to change your name to AJ, and why AJ, or what what is the story with that? Wow, that's a great question to start off the show with. <laughs> so, um, so first things first things first. Uh, again. A really, a really, um, it's a great way to start off the weekend when you are having a chat with a friend. So for the audience listening in and for the people who would eventually see the show um, when, it's re re when it's recasted is the fact that uh, me and Patrick have known each other for, I think, possibly coming to about three, three years, Patrick, right? Two, three years. Something like that. I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And uh, LinkedIn <laughs> has been the main medium of us connecting. Uh, just as it's been with so many of our things. And I think LinkedIn is unique that way. It's very uh, unique. Uh, it's very different from other social media platforms that way where you actually are somewhat forced forced to to actually build more meaningful relationships beyond likes and comments and uh, sharing. So uh, I'm really happy to be here. And thank you once again, Patrick. So jumping into your question about my name, uh, about, I think, close to about maybe um, 12 years ago when I first got my very, very first job, and it was for a company called Marcus Evans, and I'm sure a lot of people who would listen to this would know the company. Uh, Marcus Evans is a huge events company. Um, I believe they've got over 50 offices all around the world, and they're a huge business intelligence firm. And they do everything from closed-door events to congresses to conferences to uh, all sorts of hospitality-based uh, events as well. So my very first job as a young kid out of college was at Marcus Evans. And I was part of the sales team. And uh, first I worked in the Congress department. Then I worked with the summits department. And back in those days, uh, when I first started the job, I realized something that my name, given its Persian Persian ancestry. So Vajahat is, I think, a combination of Persian and Arabic ancestry. And when when people used to say it here in Malaysia, they just weren't able to really pronounce it. And then what made matters worse was that I had a lot of clients in Australia, a lot of clients abroad in general, in other countries. And when I used to talk to them, they just failed to remember my name. And you know how it feels, Patrick, when somebody forgets your name. It generally isn't very pleasant, you know, when how many times do you remember that, you know, when somebody meets you after such a long time and they may have been somebody that you knew and then all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're struggling to remember your name. And, and we've been in that situation too. I've met somebody in a mall after a very long time. I see their face. I recognize them. But, you know, for the life of me, I can't place their name. And I'm thinking, okay, maybe I should just act like, hey, what's up, buddy? What's going on? And I find different ways to convince them to tell me their number so I can see their name, so I can say it in the conversation. You know what I'm talking about. You know what yeah. I'm talking about. So we all have these situations. So nobody remembered my name, you know, because it's such an uncommon name, particularly in, in you know, in Western societies, in Western communities, right, where it's very urbanized. So people couldn't say Vajahat. They, they used to say Wajahat right? Or they used to say Waja and they would say, they would just destroy my name. And even if they, even if they did remember my name, you know, it would end up being something that they would struggle even pronouncing. Australian, if you should hear an Australian uh, gentleman trying to say my name, it's, it's, it, let's just say it comes out as something very inappropriate. I'm not going to go into the details, right? So, <laughs> so 
all I'm saying is, is that when I was going through that abuse, I realized something that maybe, maybe it's time that I give myself a nickname. So I said, why don't I just cut my name in half? So I cut out, I cut out the A-H-A-T, the end of my name, right? And I just put Wudge, right? And Wudge was not a very, Wudge was not a very common, uh, wasn't very uncommon for me at that time. It wasn't very, it wasn't very new to me because a lot of my other friends when I was growing up as a child, much younger, they used to call me Wudge, right? So, you know, there'd be Wudge, Wudgy, you know, all sorts of different names. And uh, so it wasn't very uncommon for me. So I thought that would work. But lo and behold, Pat, when I said Wudge, it turned into Watch. So after a while, <laughs> after a while, I used to get calls from people saying, can I speak to Mr. Watch? <laughs> and I'll be like, you mean Wudge, right? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah same thing. You know? <laughs> tomato, tomato, right? And I'm like, okay, that's not the same thing. <laughs> Stop calling me a Watch, you know what I mean? Um, so I, I got really frustrated. And then at one point, sometime about three months into Marcus Evans, Somebody in the team just suggested, why don't you just knock off the W and become a backstreet boy and just call yourself AJ, right? And, uh, you know, it was a joke. It was a complete joke. It, was, it, was, it wasn't serious. But I thought about it and I said, you know, that's not such a bad idea. Like, it's not, it, it, it's not such a bad idea because AJ is actually a very common Western name. A lot of people are named AJ. I thought about all my friends. I was like, wait, I know three AJs. Right. Hey, how's it going? You know, so and I realized that W.A.J., the beginning of my my name is, is if I just knock off W, it just becomes A.J. Right. And okay. I said, I bet you everybody will remember that name. I bet you. <laughs> and you know what? It worked. It worked beautifully. The second I told people I introduced myself as A.J., all of a sudden, everybody, whether Australian, Jamaican, Pakistani, Arab, they all remembered my name. A.J.? OK, A.J., you know, it all worked. So. <laughs> That's the story, Pat. That's the story. That's the story. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> a very nice one. And um, in, in connection with that, I mean, you also face another uh, challenge that you face in your childhood. Also, um, uh, you mentioned it also in the in the same TEDx talk. Like uh, um, you had some challenges. You were in bully because uh, you you don't look like Malaysian, right? Um, but now you also yeah. have no Malaysian name. Uh, but you're a Malaysian, you speak Malay, uh, you speak Mandarin I even, speak I Malay. saw, that's awesome, but tell well, us once I and for all. I, speak, what? I, speak, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say I speak Mandarin, I do level one, very, very okay. basic Mandarin, so I need, to, I need to be honest about that. I don't, want, I don't want people watching this episode and coming and speaking full-blown oh, yeah. Mandarin with me, and I'll be like... <laughs> Be like Russell Peters, see man. <laughs> so, okay, we, so, so at least the two of us we could we could speak level one Mandarin with each yeah. other. Yeah, don't talk yeah. to HA like uh, the, the, the <laughs> usual speedy Mandarin. Uh, but again, yeah. coming back to that that topic, I think in no video or no bio or anything I saw, you really disclosed or you mentioned like what what is your mixture? What what is your like real background? Where are your parents from? Okay. you can so uh, my, my mom absolutely I'm happy to uh, my parents my parents are basically I would say from the subcontinent right basically um, but they also have a bit of a mix in them so uh, they're according to according to my dad our our great-grandfather was a Persian actually not great-grandfather our great-great-grandfather was a Persian gentleman who was a poet Uh, by the name of Amir Minai. Uh, so if you look at my second name here, uh, A.J. Minai, right? So my real name is Vajahat Minai, and uh, the spelling of Minai here is actually a more glamorized spelling. The actual, I believe, accurate spelling is M-E-E-N-A-I, right? Minai, right? Um, so if you were to trace back ancestry, there was my great-great-grandfather who was excuse me, a, a poet, a diplomat, and a couple of other things. So something very interesting. Uh, not only did he live a very, very long life, apparently he lived up to, I believe, up to almost 100, right, or more. That's what legend says. Uh, he was a very, very big, well-built man, and he was originally Persian, I believe. He came somewhere from Persia, and then he came to what was now, what is now considered India. And he was a diplomat and a poet, and he came, and I think he got married, according to legend, according to what my dad and everybody says, is that he got married 
early on in his life and he lost his first wife. He married a second wife and his second wife was not an Indian woman. She was from either the UK or some other place that was that was part of that colonization area. Uh, you know, you know that area where it was being colonized. So uh, there is there is a discussion in the top. There's a huge argument and there's a controversy even within our family that the second wife is responsible for the line that that then started from that created my dad from my great grandfather to my father. So there was a mix there. So if there was a mix, it would probably be something like Persians, Indian, uh, Pakistanis, because a lot of them moved to Pakistan after that. Uh, whatever my great great grandma was, she was uh, according to what it was British or British Italian, whatever it was. So there was a mix there. So I don't have any evidence or any records to show people, you know, like, oh, this is what it was. But then again, I checked with a lot of my other friends, neither do they. I don't think anybody has any records to prove mm. these ancestries, yeah, you know, yeah. but I mean, I can, I've, I've been really curious ever since my friend told me about the DNA tests. I'm really mm. curious to go and find out the truth. But as far as I'm concerned, apparently we are Eurasians, I suppose. I don't know. Eurasians. I, I, I don't know what, what you call it. What do you call it, Patrick? <laughs> I don't know. I, so, I don't know. But but also I mean I didn't want to go so so uh far back in in in, in the past yeah. But um I, I think again also this would, would like really uh, create awesome stories right? Like when we really try to figure I, I out I was born I was born in Malaysia by the way. Matthew. Yeah yeah this one I was I born knew, in Malaysia. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. And your parents yeah, are so, Malaysian so. also right? So um so, so. It, it, it's a it's a very weird mixture and I think I think anybody 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 who knows my mix would I don't know I mean what do I look like to you Patrick maybe that's a, maybe that's a good way of asking what do I, I, I look know. like to you? I don't know I don't know uh, to be honest but I'm I'm uh, lucky I can ask the questions on my show and I don't have to answer them so <laughs> <laughs> you, you that was my safe that. exit that was my safe <laughs> exit here <laughs> okay, go on. Well, awesome, awesome. <laughs> thanks, thanks a lot for sharing that, uh, AJ. So, um, I'm an open book, sir. Yes, yes, yes. I, I happy to see you. You, you grew up in uh, Tamantun, uh, which I really love. Uh, an awesome environment. Uh, let's move uh, a bit, a bit forward. Uh, as I said, the TEDx. You talk a lot, a lot about educate, education. Um, what is more important? You focus more on the emotional um, uh, skills, EQ instead of the IQ, which uh, uh, personally I've, I fully agree with that. I think it's uh, underestimated and not uh, taught enough in, in schools. Um, but for yourself also, um, we can see that you continuously uh, were in the, uh, learning, improving. You, you did a, a PhD even like uh, most recently, um, what, what motivated you to become a doctor or having like a, a doctor in philosophy? Um, uh, about, about four and a half, five years ago, I met these two marvelous individuals here in Malaysia by the name of uh, Dr. Jim Omps or Dr. James Omps and um, his wife, his lovely wife, Dr. Pauline Crawford. Now, both these individuals are extremely established academics um, they are extremely talented entrepreneurs and uh, you know when we met we just hit it off and I think Patrick if you I think you may have met Dr. Pauline a long time ago uh, she had invited us and it was at a LinkedIn meetup back in the old days when Kenneth remember Kenneth Tan Kenneth Tan we used to do some meetups on LinkedIn, he used to do these gatherings for LinkedIn, and you may have came once or twice in the early days. So well, must, must be some time ago, to be honest. Yeah, I, I well, don't remember. No, that. no, yeah. four or five years ago. So it was a mm. long time ago. Yeah, and yeah. Um, you know, I met them, and uh, they told me about this <clears throat> wonderful, wonderful lineage and heritage they had. Uh, Dr. James' father, Dr. Jim, I believe his name was Jim. I believe. Correct me. Don't quote me on that. I think his name was Jim. Um, he was an entrepreneur in the, in the, from, from the 1940s onwards, he was a, an entrepreneur even before the word became a buzzword or a glamorous word. I mean, the, 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 the actions that he took in his own business life, in his own businesses and his own processes, there were those of an entrepreneur. And, uh, 
he had developed a body of knowledge that he called entrepreneurology. Now, entrepreneurology is a way of life. It is is it's a mindset. It is a a a almost an, a DNA, and that is the university's name. The university's name is the International University of Entrepreneur Entrepreneurology, and it's an alternative university. It's very very different from any other university you would have ever ever experienced, Patrick. I mean, I guarantee you, you would have never experienced a university like this. And uh, they were incorporated in Hawaii, and uh, they have a branch in California as well. And Dr. Jim, uh, Dr. James, and Dr. Pauline both became very close to me. And as we got closer, you know, we started to realize that there were a lot of things that we believed in that were very aligned. A lot of the values that we believed in were very aligned. Um, the only difference was was that there was a clear age gap. Uh, between myself and and you know Dr. Dr. James and Dr. Mm. Pauline, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean yeah. that in a, an objective manner. Uh, they were a lot older than I was, so they represented the voice of the baby boomer and perhaps Gen X. They they represented that voice very well, and they quantified it, and they they you know they definitely personified uh, the epitome of a generation that has often been misunderstood in modern times in the millennial age, right? And uh, at the same time, I think they recognized that I came from a very unique positioning because I'm a Zenial, Patrick. I believe you're a Zenial too. I'm a Zenial. Uh, what's a Zenial? A Zenial is basically someone who's a millennial, a Gen Y, but he's very, he's very, uh, he's very close to being an X, right? So consider probably, probably you and I are probably the closest. I don't know. Uh, we're the closest to. Uh, closest to being wise just before they turn into X's. Now, I'm making an assumption here, Patrick. You look really young. You could surprise <laughs> me by saying something else. I don't know, right? Uh, but <laughs> I'm just taking a, I'm taking a shot out there in the dark, right? Uh, but, but that being said, um, you know, I, I think I bought a, a voice of the millennial to, to the board. So we have a short form for the International University of Entrepreneurology. It's called IUE. And uh, Dr. Pauline and Dr. James, uh, Dr. Jim, you know, James and me and everybody, we all got together and we started talking about, you know what, what can we do together? And the first thing that they said was, you really need to do your PhD with us, right? And uh, that's when the journey began. And they've got a very, very interesting, unique, out-of-the-box approach towards doing a PhD. It's called a CAP. Uh, CAP, right? And uh, the CAP is basically your thesis, right? But unlike mm -hmm. unlike other the unlike other PhD programs that are very traditional, they actually take into account your life credits as well. Now, what does the life credit mean? It means that the things that you've done in your life also matter just as much as the grades and the research that you've done. Mm -hmm. Now, you you I, I think you can imagine, Patrick, how different that is from other PhD programs, right? Mm -hmm. And utilizing your life credits, as long as you have the evidence to back it up, you can actually formulate that into your thesis at IUE. And that's exactly what I did. I took the whole tapestry of my entrepreneurial life, even since I was seven years old. I even included the entrepreneurial activities that I exhibited since I was seven. And I even gave references of old buddies who could back me up on the incidences that I claimed happened in the cap for IUE's PhD, right? And so, you know, it was a very long process, very tedious, very arduous, a lot of interviews, a lot of questioning, a lot of all of that. But I finally got through it and I got awarded uh, the PhD. And um, at the same time, Dr. Pauline and Dr. Jim thought it was uh, very, very, it would be fresh. It would be innovative to involve someone as young as I was at that time. Five years ago, I was five years younger than I was now, right? So at that time, they were, they were like, it would be very good it would be very good to have the voice of a millennial on the board because everyone on the IUE board, the official board of IUE, is actually uh, either a Gen X or a baby boomer, right? There are no Ys, no Ys at all. And there are definitely no Zs, right? So I am officially the first Gen Y to have joined their board ever since 1972 when the university started, right? By wow, Dr. Impressive. James Potter. So awesome. this is... This is the story of how mm. I ended up doing the PhD mm. from IUE. <laughs>
that that's interesting and uh, i didn't know about this uh, program but uh, as as you explained it i mean it makes quite a lot of sense right we we're doing schools we're doing programs and then uh, we're evaluated and judged only on what we exactly do in this course right you do a test you get graded by that but like your entire pastor experience is not really taken into consideration so i think a uh, different approach um also quite interesting yeah and just to, to clarify, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm theoretically a Gen X, <laughs> but it depends, really? like yeah, like from like the the birth year. Can I, but um, can then, I ask when you were born, Patrick? Seventy eight. Seventy eight. You oh, okay, you're a Gen X, buddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, as I said, according to but, birth but you age, look, but, but you then, look like a G, but you look like a Gen Y, buddy. That's yeah, yeah. Thank you. you. Maybe I I should feel more like that because it's just like at the edge, right? So yeah, I consider right. myself still a Gen, a Gen Y, probably. You're a Zenial. You're a Zenial. <laughs> Zenial. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I prefer that. I prefer that. Hey, HA. Right. Um, I want to move into uh like your expertise, like uh the thing that you really did. I mean, you're an entrepreneur, as you said, uh, since seven. I, I love the story when you sold your um, uh, your cards, like your Martin, collection, yeah. collection yeah. cards and Mario cards in, in the park. Uh, an awesome story. Yeah. Good um, times. That, that people can also listen to in uh, one of the TEDx talks, I think. Um, but now you're, you're all about uh, brand uh, storytelling. Uh, and we can see from your background already, uh, it's all about brands. It's all about storytelling. Uh, white on white um, I'm almost a little bit disappointed you know HA that you didn't show up in your suit and your tie for this talk because this is like what I remember first about you when I saw you um, when I saw you on LinkedIn and then when I met you I, I feel like wow, this this guy is just crazy you know there's like 34 degrees in Malaysia like uh, Every, every day, the entire day. And this guy always shows up with a suit and a tie, regardless what is the occasion, you know. Um, but then I understood this is also part of your brand, right? That is what, what HA stands for. Why, why the suit and the tie at 34 degrees? What, what made, made you uh, wear that? Or what, why is that that became like part of you? I... I um... I actually don't know, Patrick. I don't know. That's a really good question. You, I mean, you've asked a really good question, and no one has really ever asked me why. I mean, everyone's just assumed it's part of my brand, like you mentioned, right? And it is definitely a brand anchor. I mean, if you look at all the, you look at everyone who's building a personal brand today, they always have what we call a brand persona that is usually anchored by a brand anchor, an object, right? Now, a brand anchor can be a pair of specs, I'm sure you've seen, um, let's take, uh, let's take somebody on LinkedIn, for example. If you do, look at Dr. Natalia Wachowski, I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. Uh, Dr. Natalia, if you ever see this, please forgive me for mispronouncing your name if I have. Um, she's based, I believe she's based in Dubai. And if you notice, if you go to her LinkedIn profile and if you go to any of her videos, she always have, has a very uh, particular set of specs that are colored, uniquely multicolored, right? And uh, that's become her kind of, uh, our brand anchor, you know, like people recognize that those specs with Natalia, right? And uh, if you look at um, Quinton Alums, right, who's another storyteller who's very, very well known in North America, uh, Quinton for the longest time would have a big hat, almost like, uh, you know, in the stories, you have the hat that the, the, the witches used to wear, the pointy hat, the big hats, right? Uh, he, he had a hat, a very big hat. He used to wear it very often. I don't know if he stopped doing it, but I think he has stopped doing it. But he, he did for a very long time have these hats that were really outrageous and amazing. I loved them. I mean, I, I salute anybody who can do something outrageous and then confidently pull it off, right? And I think I was doing the same thing. I, I think so. I got to be honest, Patrick, I don't, I don't have a a very mystical, amazing story about why on the, on the suit. Um, I think, I think it was simply just my selection, my subconscious selection of a brand anchor. You know, um, I lived in a country that was on the equator for most of my life, Malaysia. Um, you know, I, I recognized that, uh, even though in other countries, it wouldn't be a big deal. For example, if I lived in Europe, if I lived in, in London, it really wouldn't be a big deal if I wore a suit all the time because a lot of people wear a suit all the time because the weather permits it, you know, and, and that's generally that's also a cultural thing, right? Um, but, you know, in, in, in countries like Southeast Asia, like Malaysia, you know, 
Actually, I, actually, that's not even correct. Not even Southeast Asia. That's that's a generalization. Because when you go to Singapore, you see a lot of people wearing suits all the time. Because Singapore is considered a financial hub, so it's right next door. So suits are still a lot more, I'd say, mundane or predictable in those countries, you know. But in Malaysia, per se, I think, I think by nature, Malaysia has always been a more casual country. Don't you agree, Patrick? It's, yeah, yeah, no. It's I always been a little bit more casual, you know. Yeah. Um, I think I think that's part of the reason why it stood out because a lot of Malaysian people would find me doing something outrageous. I mean, you know, you even thought I was doing something outrageous when you first saw me doing it, right? Um, you know, and I, I think I think I was just I was doing I was doing jolt marketing. You know, jolt marketing where you shock people into remembering you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think to a certain extent, I was creating a brand persona that would shock people into remembering me. And then it'd be like, oh yeah, who's AJ? Oh, that guy. That guy who's always in the suit, you know, it becomes a reason. It becomes a mnemonic, you know, and uh, I really think everyone needs to do that. Uh, honestly, if, if I can give advice as a storyteller, uh, you know, the reason why stories change the world and the, why they're the most celebrated form of communication and the most memorable is because they always have these little, these little sound bites in them. They have these moments in them that would connect your memory to them forever. So mm-hmm. you'd, you'd forget all the different characters, you'd forget the main actor's name, you'd forget the, move, the name of the movie even. But you know when I bring you back to that one moment that really touched you or emotionally engaged you in any which way, uh, you, won't, you, will rem- you will immediately remember. Your mind will immediately bring that memory back to the forefront of your mind and you'll be like, oh yeah, I, I do remember that. That was an amazing movie. Mm-hmm. Even though you've forgotten all of the details, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so that's what I was doing with the suit, I suppose, mm-hmm. to a certain extent, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's, I, that's that. I'm sorry, man. No, 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 no super awesome story on that one. Sorry. <laughs> no story, but still um, something to tell. That's, that's really uh, awesome. Um, have, it, have it occurred to you that, I mean, how to express this? Um, you know, you, you, even now you just encourage people, you know, to, to stick to a brand, to do something like that makes them outstanding, you know. Um, we can say, okay, Dr. H.A., well, he is a doctor. He changed his name. He uh, wears a suit at 34 degrees. Um, but the controversy around that can also be like, is, is it still yourself? I mean, is this in the end still Wajahat, right? Uh, talking there or being there? Or is it someone that is just like disguising and, and putting another f- person in front just for the sake of, of the brand. I mean, nothing bad with that, right? But it's just a question, how, how, how do you see that? I, I, suppose, I suppose there's an element of that. I mean, I think it goes back to, that's a, that's a brilliant question, Patrick. I love that. It's a very, very, I love that because it's very controversial. So I like that very much. <laughs> Now, I've, I've actually talked about this on stage uh, I believe I first started talking about it at HRDF conference in 2018. At the end of 2018, I started talking about the concept of fake storytelling versus real authentic storytelling. Now, you know, good storytellers don't just tell stories. They tell the right ones. They, they, know, how to, they know how to leverage storytelling as a means to an outcome towards justice towards good, towards humanity, right? But there are storytellers, and I'm sure you've met many of them. There are storytellers who use storytelling almost like a supervillain would as opposed to a superhero would. They would use storytelling or their ability to speak or their gift of gab, right? They would use that as a means to drive, you know, very, very self-involved goals. Maybe they would be using it in, in a manner that is... Evil is a very strong word. I don't, I don't like to use the word evil. But, you know, they would definitely be using it as, as a means to abuse the rules, to abuse the system, to abuse the, the clients that, that have trusted them, the brands that have trusted them to do their work, to, to, to be the storyteller for them or to be an endorsement for them. Uh, even in their own personal relationships, I think storytellers, if they lose themselves in storytelling and if they forget where they truly where they truly begin and where they're, when the storyteller truly ends, if they forget that, then I think it would have a immensely negative impact in their life too, right? Mm. And that brings, me, that brings me to the answer to your question. Showmanship, there's nothing wrong with a bit of showmanship. 
Um, let me give you an example. Uh, you have you have Dwayne Johnson, right? Everybody knows who Dwayne Johnson is, right? Dwayne Johnson is is a uh, you know he's a he's a massive massive name in Hollywood. Everybody knows him. We know him from Fast and Furious series. We know him from a variety of movies. We people look up to him for his physique. People look up to him for his drive, for his motivation. But what people a lot of people don't know is is that he's crafted a variety of personas along his career, right? Now, if you think about it, let's take one that's been very very celebrated and was legendary, The Rock, right? So in the WWE, in the World Wrestling uh, well, it was called the WWF in the beginning, but then due to, I think, IP laws, it changed to the WWE, right? So in, in the wrestling world, he was known as The Rock, right? Now, a lot of people don't know that, but he is actually in real life nothing like The Rock persona. He used to come out, he used to come out, and he was, you know, he would walk around really cocky. He would raise his eyebrow and he would say, you know, can you smell what The Rock is cooking? You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Now... <laughs> A lot of people will justify that by saying that was a fake persona. That wasn't really him. Mm-hmm. He was just getting paid a lot of money. That's why he did it. He was paid to act, right? Mm-hmm. Well, to a certain extent, I agree and I disagree. You know, uh, you know, you can. He he had the freedom to choose how much he could put on, how how thick he wanted the act to be, or how thin he wanted the act to be. He could have chosen to just be more like himself and added in a few a few things just to just to make it more flavorful. Or he could have gone all the way like he did and become this really eccentric, cocky attitude, full of attitude personality called The Rock that would just walk around strutting and going, can you smell what I'm cooking? You know, and doing all that stuff that he did. Now, that's kind of like real life. You know, when, when, you, when you are doing a bit of showmanship for the sake of good, you're not doing to hurt anybody. You're not doing anything to mislead anybody. And you're doing a bit of showmanship. You're making things more engaging. You're making things more memorable. You're, you're, you're becoming more in the mind of your audience than just a man or a woman. You know, it, it's, it's okay as long as your intentions are right. It's not okay when your intentions are to hurt people, when your intentions are to dupe them, when your intentions are to take advantage of this fake persona you build for them and then trick them into doing something mm-hmm. that they don't want to do. I completely agree with you. I know what you're saying, Patrick. You're right. You know, it's, it's the difference between a fake storyteller and an authentic one. An authentic mm-hmm. storyteller knows how to use showmanship that would add flavor, that would add ambiance, that would add value, that would make things memorable, right? It's okay to use that showmanship because mm-hmm. it's just human. It's part of our traditions. You know, it's the reason why the stories we listened to when we were kids would be once upon a time and they lived happily ever after. It was always the showmanship. It was the glamour of the story. You know what I mean? But that doesn't mean it was completely wrong or dark mm-hmm. unless your intentions were dark. Mm-hmm. So I think everything in life goes back to intention, Patrick. Mm-hmm. My intentions with the suit, with AJ have never been harmful. They've always been harmless. They've always been just for me. You know, like, you know, I don't intend to dupe anybody. I mean, if I really did want to dupe anybody, I think I would have done it years ago. As you know, I've been doing this for a very long time. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, in interviews, in interviews, I don't think I would just, I wouldn't give up on my persona then. You know, I would show up to all my interviews with the, the so-called fake persona and the pretension. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, here I am in a, and a cap and, and a cap and I'm, I've got I've got nothing I'm unfiltered you ask me my name you ask me where my parents are from and I'm an open book I'm you know when it comes to being upright and honest about things I'm open I'm not hiding anything but you know a little bit of a of a glamour and showmanship in life never hurt anybody for personal Absolutely. branding sake. I, I I agree with that. I really appreciate that. I appreciate uh, your openness and sharing uh, so many uh, awesome stories. Um, my next question would have been like, what what? How do you see what makes a good storyteller? You know, but I think I have to answer it myself already because my intention and successfully for the last twenty episodes I was. Uh, 
I was able to stick to the 30 minutes recording, you know, impossible with you. Uh, I think that is why <laughs> <Sorry. you're, laughs> that's why <laughs> what makes a good storyteller probably. Um, also mentioned like the authenticity, which I um, think is a, it's a really important uh, thing. So if, if you if you still have time and agree, then I would just like keep recording and make this one like, a, I don't know, maybe I make it a double episode. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay, totally. awesome. Let's do it. Awesome. Okay, so uh, you know, I, I was Patrick. You know when I when I told you about Roberto two years ago when we were backstage just now. <laughs> yeah. Do you know how many? Do you know how many? Do you know how many cuts, mini mini episodes he had to make? I believe it was nine. <laughs> okay. It was nine nine episodes out of all of that. So okay. so trust me, I think I think. I think a double episode is good. We're safe. Yeah. It's okay. Double, double is okay. Let's not make it nine. Yeah. That would mean like I, I will starve from hunger. And also, I don't want to steal too much of your uh, valuable time. But, no, but let's let's go back to the storytelling, the, um, the authentic, authenticity, sorry. Uh, but also what makes a good storyteller. I mean, um, interestingly, when I moved to Malaysia, suddenly I, I, I was more um, working in LinkedIn and suddenly I saw like everyone seems to be a storyteller. That's like everyone just tells stories. Like now you're not a sales anymore, you're a storyteller. You're not a marketer anymore, you're a storyteller. You're not an IT guy, right. you're even a, a storyteller then. Um, right. so, so it's kind of a hype work maybe at that time, but it will like, of course, uh, adjust a little bit, and only the good ones will survive. But what is your um, definition of a of a good storyteller? What, what what to what do you personally stick to make sure that like all your talks that you've given um, that your stories are are good? Right. I think I think I think storytelling is is something that's been definitely uh, part of my language, part of my you know, the, the, the term I'm about to use. But I think storytelling has been prostituted um, to a certain extent, you know, and uh, you're absolutely right. You know, I, I see a lot of people going around calling themselves storytellers. And with all due respect, they're, you know, they've reductively assumed that a storyteller is simply somebody who tells stories. Uh, but that is unfortunately very, very far from the truth. Uh, if it was that easy, then, you know, I suppose... I could call my handyman who comes in to fix something here at the house an engineer. That's the same thing, the same concept, you know, just because somebody can come and, you know, fix the, fix the, you know, uh, the piping in my house, then he probably can just build an entire building if he can figure it out and put in mind to it. You know, that's not the case. Uh, same thing with social media these days. A lot of people, I hear a lot of CEOs and a lot of SME CEOs and startup founders talking about, Oh, you know, we don't really need uh, we don't really need to hire an actual social media community manager. We just need to hire somebody who you know is an intern who really loves social media. And I'm like, no, that's not true. When you want a social media community manager, they actually come with a particular set of experiences. They come with a set of, a particular set of skills, uh, skills and competencies and experiences that you may not appreciate as a CEO, but that doesn't mean that you don't need them. And instead, you're going to go hire young kids that you feel just because they spend all their time on social media that they know exactly what to do. But that's not the case, you know. So that's the same thing with storytelling. You know, people just say, AJ, I, I love to talk. I'm an extrovert. I like to go on stage and tell stories. So I'm a storyteller, too. And I'm like, no, no, you're not storyteller because the storyteller is both an art and a science, right? There is a science behind storytelling. And I've spent years researching storytelling, not from the perspective of simply telling stories, but also on how they impact the bottom line of your organization, how they actually connect to people beyond just inspiration, but also to take action. How do you create stories for brands? How do you create stories for personal and corporate brands that actually create a call to action? that actually get people to get off their chairs and to engage with your brand, right? How do, you, how do you craft stories by knowing which one is the right one to tell? There are different types of stories to tell. There are different techniques to tell it. There are different mediums to use, you know? And that's why I love episodes like this, Pat's Chat, like where we're talking about this, because it gives me an opportunity to share the fact that storytelling is not simply just going around sitting on a coffee table and telling a story. That's not what storytelling is. A storytelling as a professional, 
an actual professional storyteller that is hired for a particular assignment, whether for a personal or corporate brand, actually goes into both the art and the science of storytelling, right? And that is connected to actual KPIs in the company. It is actually generating revenue for you. It is actually understanding how your hiring department and your HR department can use storytelling as an ability to identify better candidates. It adds to your bottom line. It creates a better engagement of culture. There are so many different angles that when you dig deep into storytelling, then only will you understand at the level that where I am trying to come into an organization and help them when you reach that level, you'll understand that storytelling is something that truly changes the world. It really does change the world. But how it does it is not just through fables. Fables and stories are two different things. People mm -hmm. don't understand that. You know, once upon a time and a brand story, two mm -hmm. different things, not the same thing. So that's my opinion on the matter, Patrick. Mm -hmm. Right. So, mm -hmm. yes, to a certain extent, it is unfortunate that everybody feels like they can just call themselves a storyteller. Uh, at the same time, it's not something surprising, Patrick. You know why? Because everybody likes to call themselves everything. Let's take blockchain, for example, now, Patrick. <laughs> everybody likes to call themselves a blockchain expert. After a couple of YouTube videos and a few Google articles, everyone's an expert on crypto. But, you know, the truth is, they're not. So... That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> okay. Where, where do you get your input, your ideas? Who were like um, the, the guys um, that, that you were really uh, looking up to, learning from and, and getting the input for your uh, way of storytelling? For, for me, I think a lot of the influence came from people like Simon Sinek, mm -hmm. um, Gary Vaynerchuk, um, mm -hmm. Richard Branson, uh, Jack Ma, I've actually I've actually come to realize I come come to a realization that storytelling, even though it is something that you need to structure and discipline as a service to to corporate brands and to even personal brands, you know, somebody who wants to build their personal brand using my services, you know, I've come to a realization that you still cannot discount the fact that you always need to put your heart into the story. You know, the story always has to touch your heart. It always has to be something that engages you at, at this level, not just here. It can't always be a logical conclusion. It has to also be an emotional conclusion. The best stories are the ones that make sense, but they also make heart, right? They, 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 very, they connect to you, right? And they're, they're, they have the ability for activating both your heart and mind so that they align. They align and you're able to understand that this decision to buy this car or this decision to talk to this person, or this decision to pick up the phone and call this company is a decision that I'm taking fully aware of what I'm doing, and I'm doing it because of the right reasons. Not because I'm being sold some cheesy ad, not just because I want to save money because there's a discount, but because I really feel like this is something I need to do right now. I hmm. feel strongly about it. The, yeah. the key word is feel. I feel something about it, you know? So for me, Patrick, I think it's very important that people understand that when you're looking for, when you're looking for role models, right, mm -hmm. you, you learn from everyone, but you follow no one. Mm. So let me repeat that. You learn from everyone, but you follow no one. You, you, you have to, and when I say follow, I don't mean it from a social media point of view, Patrick. I mean it from a, from a life point of view. Yeah. You don't yeah. need to replicate yourself. So, for example, if I look up to Gary Vee, I don't need to replicate myself into him. I can learn from him, yeah. but I can follow AJ. Mm -hmm. I, am, I am unique, you know, and not unique spelt with a U, but unique spelt with a Y, you know, unique, right? And uh, I, I, I don't know. That's just the way I think of it. Yeah. These people inspired me. Inspired, but uh, not copied. That's what, what you're saying, right? You learn from the people. Like uh, a lot of people will learn from you. Uh, don't, but don't copy. That I think is the key takeaway here. Um, let, let me ask you one more question about the events because that's something like uh, I was looking up to and inspired me also. Like the the, the speeches that you you did, uh, at least those which I I could find um, somewhere or when I saw you live also. 
um, you, you're speaking at 200 plus events and people would ask you like which would, would be the most memorable like from a positive aspect but I would like to ask you what, what was the most memorable for you like the, the one event that you say wow if, if I can make that like disappear I would do so because it was so horrible but I still learned something from it obviously uh, the, do you remember what was like the, the worst was it the are you asking about the worst one yeah or the, best the one? worst no the worst one yeah the one the that worst yeah, one. Okay. Yeah. the worst one the worst <laughs> one I, I believe would be um, a long time ago um, I was asked to come I can't remember the company's name I was I was invited to an event in which I was given a topic and uh, it was a topic that I knew at the back of my mind the back of my head uh, my hand sorry um, and it it was it was such an it was such a it was a such a spoken topic for me. I remember I think it was either on blockchain or something else, and this was about three years ago. I still remember, and you know they had invited me to speak about the blockchain as a blockchain one hundred and one. And when I got there, they on the on the day of the event, you know, after have communicated this blockchain, when I got there, they actually told me that they would like for me to focus more on IoT. Right now, oh, here's okay. the thing. Here's the thing for for them because, and it's not their fault. For them, they thought Industry 4.0 is basically a collective framework, blockchain, AI, IoT. It's basically all coming from. They have this mis misunderstanding that it's all emerging technologies, and basically anybody <laughs> can just come and talk about it. But then I had to make them. I had to make them understand. Of course, it was too late to make them understand at that time because I was literally standing on stage a few minutes after that, just, you know, when they told me that, oh, by the way, could you focus purely more on IoT? Because everybody here is very interested just on IoT. And my slides were very much so blockchain 101. And Patrick, you know what I'm talking about. They're very, very different. They're two different things. <laughs> yeah, They're not of the course. Same. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was a horrible event because my slides were not acclimatized to IoT. Um, I was caught off guard because despite the fact that I speak at a lot of blockchain conferences, I am fairly well versed with blockchain applicational concepts. Going into IoT is a completely different ballgame. And speaking about IoT is a different thing. And that's not my expertise. I don't speak about IoT. You know, I can speak at it, I can speak about it at a high level as part of another topic. But if you want me to do a presentation just focused on IoT, I would have to to prepare yeah, for it yeah, I would have to do course. my own research for it which I didn't have I didn't have that time so it was probably the worst performance <laughs> I've ever given you know because I I was using my existing slides um, but I was verbally expressing everything in a context of IOT and my my obviously my, my, my knowledge on the topic wasn't that uh, in-depth so therefore I think I, I, I'm pretty sure that a lot of the things I would have said were not very, uh, I would say very, how do I say it, uh, you know, specific. They were not very uh, valuable, you know what I mean? Mm. So, I mean, for me in general, I thought it was a very, it was a very difficult, for me, it was a very difficult performance. I was not proud of that performance. Um, and I'm also glad that I don't remember the name of the company because I would embarrass myself and the company <laughs> if I mentioned it right now. Uh, but yeah. Okay, that's, uh, a that, fun, that was, that's a fun one. Well, it's a fun one for the outsider, right? <laughs> for yourself, not so fun when you're on the stage so and fun. you figure out uh, so the fun. topic change. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. Uh, AJ, let's let's move in a, in a different direction here. Uh, your entrepreneurship. Sure. Uh, it's a, I know it's also a long story, but we said we stick to two, to two episodes, not to three. So uh, let's, let's focus the last 10 minutes on, on your ventures and your uh, enterprise, the companies that you founded. And uh, of course, the list is long. I just noted down Subture, uh, Central Vision 77, uh, which you prefer to talk a little bit more about. It's a ventures uh, holding group. And uh, yes. I think um, you're you're a co-founder. Your other founder is uh, is uh, Ryan, which I personally know. Also, I met met through you, uh, which right. is a, a really a great uh, personality. Uh, to uh, tell us a little bit more about Vision Seventy Seven. What is your what what is the vision? What is the target for you uh, with that company so or that vision? Group? Yeah. So uh, 
me and Ryan have known each other for 10 years and, uh, you know, we, we've worked together, we've grown together. We are extremely close. We're family. Um, you know, and, and I think, I think I'm very blessed to have him in my life and, uh, I hope he would feel the same. I'm sure he does, but I'm, I don't want to speak on his behalf, you know? Uh, but you know, I mean, you know, it's been, it's been such a amazing time uh, growing with him as an individual, as a storyteller, as a personality with him. And, and I think life is truly about people, you know, um, people always make life a lot more complex than it, than it should be. And, you know, people like to overthink things, but the truth is at the end of the day, it's always about human beings. You know, irrespective of whatever you want to talk about, whether it's blockchain or AI or whatever technical jargon or conceptual jargon you want to impress people to sound smart with, the truth is, at the end of the day, it's raw human emotion and human connectivity and human relationships that truly rule this planet. And they truly drive everything, you know. Um, for me, Vision 77 was a, a fool's dream to think that we could one day have a a ventures company that would one day have 77 different organizations partially or full wholly owned by vision 77 that were adding value and impact to the world in their own unique way. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about unicorns or decacorns, not, don't get me wrong, Patrick, we're not measuring it by money. We're talking about, you know, an organization that is so dedicated towards changing the world that it actively seeks out, like-minded people that can become CEOs of companies and then we can aid them in embracing their destiny to change the world. And if Vision 77 can be part of that destiny, can be part of that journey and is part of the, the responsibility of bringing about their, their moment when they bring about an organization or a technology or, or, or a service or a product that truly adds value to human beings on this planet, then Vision 77 is there to be supporting them, for them mm. to be empowered, for them to be embraced. And that's always that. been our philosophy, mm. you know? So we always believe that we're not looking for ideas. We're looking for CEOs. We're looking for people that have, that are fighting for something bigger than themselves. And they're not fighting for it just because of a, a fat wallet. They're fighting for it because of a big heart. You know, they're fighting for it because of compassion, because they they truly have experienced something in their lives that has brought them to the conclusion that I am put on this planet. I'm here on Earth to solve this problem. And that's that's really what drew that drove Vision 77. I mean, I know it sounds crazy. I know it sounds really cliche, bro, but <laughs> that's really what me and Ryan wanted to do. Okay, but, but it has to. I mean, if you have uh, big targets, right, you can achieve something uh, great also. So, uh, and dream big, I think, is, is the, the credo here. Um, let, let me uh, come back to this uh, partnership. And, of course, we don't want to talk about Ryan, uh, but more about the, the idea. I mean, we, we talk a lot about, like, uh, between entrepreneurs, you know, should you fund the company by yourself and you can do whatever you want, more or less, uh, or should you go with a co-founder? Which is the right co-founder, and and how how to do this? You know, um, obviously with uh, Ryan, you found the perfect partner and co-founder. But what is like? I mean, was it always like this, or is it like at the time where you figured out it's better to go with a co-founder and then doing things yourself? And what motivated you to to go with a co-founder? I think I think the reality is simply down to one word, Patrick: ego. It's just ego, you know. I, I think I think at the end of the day, I've never seen I've never seen anybody who has reached a point in in their life where others look up to them, and they can actually look the other person into the eye and say that I achieved everything I did today simply because of me. You know, and if you can do that, if you mm -hmm. can actually look into other people's eyes. And when they ask you, how did you do this? How did you do this, Patrick? How did you reach this level? That's amazing. How did you build this unicorn? How did you do this? How did you have this? How did you get this car? It's an amazing ride, all that. And if you constantly look at people in their eyes and you say to them, oh, it's, you know, I'm, I'm a self-made man. I'm, it's, it's, just, it's just me. I, I've been working very hard my life. I, I, I. If that's the narrative you keep hearing, then it's very obvious that that person has a issue that is stemming from, an ego, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, the truth is, me and Ryan fight all the time. 
the truth is, you know, being best friends and buddies and brothers and and working together is not easy. You know, it's hard work. It's 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 like marriage. It's it's not <laughs> yeah, easy. Yeah, just want I mean, to you say know, that. Yeah, it, similar. Sounds similar. Yeah, it, it, it's it's very very similar. I mean, when you find somebody that you want to keep in your life because you love them, man, you've got to fight for it. You you mm-hmm. you you can't. It's not it's not easy. It's not like a again. It's not a fable. It's a real story. You know, it's it's a real story, and real stories have ups and downs. But that doesn't mean they don't have heroes. That doesn't mean they don't have villains. You know, mm-hmm. life is really simple, bro. There are Jedi's and there are Sith. To use Star <laughs> Wars an analogy, there are people who use the Force for the sake of others, and there mm-hmm. are people that use the Force for the sake of themselves. They just want power, right? But there are those people who realize after being Sith, and I really believe that all of us at one point keep on interchanging between the two of them. We're never, we're never Jedi our entire life. We're never Sith all our lives. We, we keep on jumping ship. We're Sith sometimes, we're Jedi sometimes. And that's just the way real life is. In real life, you make mistakes and you learn from them. And then when you realize that this is all because of your ego, because of your attitude, you realize that there's no such thing as me. It's always about we. There's no such thing as me. It's always we. And mm-hmm. to answer your question, always, always look for people that are better than you at certain things and, and empower them and truly care for them. Have compassion and kindness towards them and appreciate them for being a co-founder. Appreciate them for having given you an opportunity to be in their lives. And they should do the same because I promise you, Patrick, with that respect and with that sincerity, even the, the largest disagreements will become manageable because you're there for the right reasons, right? So first, just to summarize, first, it's never me. It's always we. So to answer your question, you should always find a team. You should always believe that you can never be an island on your own. You're definitely going to build a legacy only with the help of others and by helping others. And number two, it is very important that you give the space and the time for you to find that person, and then you have to work at it. You have to work at making it work. And so as long as you do that, I think you'll keep it real. Awesome, awesome. I keep that in mind, beautiful. I think uh, lots of of lessons learned um, today in this one hour. Um, Maybe what is the next things coming up for you, AJ? What is the next big thing we should Uh, be looking for? during the MCO, it was a very hard time. And uh, I'm, again, for the sake of transparency, uh, I think it's no use lying about it. I'm sure everybody can associate with me. Everyone's felt the pinch, guys. I'm sure everybody listening in would also agree that everyone has, in one way or another, either they've lost their job or they felt a pinch in their pockets or they have had issues with loved ones or someone has unfortunately gotten the virus for some people. And, you know, everyone's facing their own troubles and their own trials. But economically, this situation and this time, this time frame is unprecedented. I mean, uh, in the United States right now, they're talking about uh, possibly an economic crisis that's worse than the Great Depression, right? And uh, that's, that's, that's saying a lot, Patrick. That's, that's unprecedented since World War II. So it's, uh, it's definitely, these are hard times. Uh, but me and Ryan never looked at it that way. We looked at it as opportunity. When everybody else was complaining about, oh my God, I'm losing so much of money on this business, on this business, what we realized was, yeah, we're losing money, right? So we can't change that. We can't do anything about it. We can spend all our energy in trying to make these existing businesses work, but we'll probably kill ourselves and we don't even have a guarantee that they would pick up, right? Because a lot of the factors that are affecting them are not within our control. They're market factors, right? So what did we do? Me and Ryan started up three other companies. So when everybody else was shutting down, we started three other companies, right? And we found different angles of emerging technologies, particularly within the blockchain and crypto space, where we said, okay, you know what? We're not going to sit back and let COVID-19 or this pandemic or whatever else defeat us. We're not gonna be defeated by this. We are going to make this our uprising. We are going to make this as an opportunity to rise. So we started up a company in Dubai. We started up a company in the States. And we started up a company here in Malaysia. 
And uh, all three of them are very different industries. And all three of them are still trying to get themselves off the ground. But no pain, no gain, right? Yeah. <laughs> We're really happy. <laughs> Absolutely. That is awesome. Congratulations uh, for that, H.A. I hope uh, this match has also become very successful. Um, Thank you. Let's stick with that. I, again, really appreciate uh, that you joined me on uh, my, my small um, podcast here. You made the time. You even made a, a double episode the first time. Uh, thank you so much, AJ. I'm sorry, I really appreciate I'm sorry for it. taking up so much time, though. <laughs> no, absolutely I'm not. I mean, hey, I'm, I'm really I, thankful for I your do? time. I'm a storyteller, bro. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I should have thought about that. But then I thought like, well... <laughs> I was able to do it so far. So no worries. Thank you so much, uh, H.A. Thank you. Uh, have an awesome day. Have an awesome weekend. Uh, thanks for Likewise. Time. And uh, Thank thanks you. to the audience also for uh, watching this episode. I hope you found it uh, as exciting as myself. Uh, lots of lessons learned. Uh, a lot of uh, insights about uh, H.A. also. Um, thanks a lot. Uh, stay tuned and Thank I'll you. see you next time for a new episode and AJ, I hope I oh, see yes. you soon also. Yeah. Likewise. And remember, don't be afraid. <laughs>